Welcome to the Modern Contemplative Podcast. I'm your host, J. Randall Ori. It's uh, early morning. I'm in the middle of the woods. I just like to remind you of that. Uh, there's a lot of different sounds, and you may wonder kind of what those sounds are. So I hear birds and birds talking to each other, talking to me. You probably hear the sound of me just walking. Um, this is a kind of a, a bigger park in the middle of a city, so sometimes you can hear the sounds of cars passing by not too far away. So I'm here in the middle, in the middle of nature and civilization. Um, it's a cool morning. A little cloudy. Everything is just waking up. Hmm. It's just a beautiful way to greet the day. It's one of my practices. Getting into the woods. It's a very grounding place for me. I read a study once about color. About how colors affect our psyche. And our mental and emotional stability and how natural colors can ground us and calm us. Um, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about practices. Like what, what do you do that helps ground you, that helps refresh and kind of renew you, that helps bring you peace, that helps kind of get the cobwebs out of your heart and mind or the muck of life, you know. Um, Today is the third and final podcast in the series, uh, The Autonomous Self and Surrender. So I talked about what the autonomous self is in the first podcast. I talked about the importance of surrender as the remedy to our fractured way of seeing reality. And today I want to talk about some of the practices that help ground us in um, a better way of seeing reality. Uh, and I've talked about this in different ways before, but um, ultimate reality is God, and it is in getting connected back to God that we come to see ourselves and others more truly and more clearly. <laughs> I stopped to watch a squirrel climbing a tree. Those guys are fast. I just I like to watch and, and observe nature. Anyway, um, and I, I realize, like, I, I don't assume pe- anybody believes or sees God the way I do, you know. That's okay. I'm, I'm not here to tell you who God is, how to see God. Um, I'm here to encourage you to, towards your own experience, I'm pulling cobwebs off of my face again. <laughs> Constant in the mornings. Um, see, I'm I'm decluttering. I'm getting the cobwebs. You know, dealing with the cobwebs <laughs> of life here. Um, you know, I realize that a lot of people have uh, a hmm, a lot of people have. A negative view of God. Some people have a complicated view of God. You know, like it's good and bad, or um, 
I also realize sometimes people's view of God is religion. And those are different things. And I, I've had to come to terms with that and realize that, that not all of religion has a good view of God or has portrayed God very well. And so, but sometimes people, people say, well, you know, I grew up in this specific religion and this is what it taught about God and I've just rejected it all. I've, I've rejected that religion and that God. And, and I would say sometimes that's good. Like we need to reject some ideas about God. But I would encourage you to come to a better view of God or to, to, to seek it out, you know. I mean, you can do whatever you want, right? I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm, I am telling you that the best chance we have of he, for healing and wholeness individually and culturally, globally, is this unified field of love that is the energy of the universe, the energy of life that I call God. And it is a unifying energy, an embracing energy, an affirming energy. You know, God is here calling us back to wholeness, to health and healing. God is trying to put us back together. You know. And it's not that's not about religion. I'm just telling you, like, it's not about religion. It's about being human in the world. It's about understanding why we're here and why, why the world is here. Like, what are we supposed to be doing? What are, we, what are we made for? You know, religion is supposed to help us understand that. It's one of, you know, I'll tell you, it's one of the things. It's not the only thing. Like, nature can help us understand that, too. So, but um, it's one thing to talk about this idea of God it's another thing to experience it. And I've, I know I talk to you a lot about my experiences of God. And I hope that's helpful, but I, I realize that that is only so, it's only helpful so much. Like, you need to have your own experiences of God. You can't take my experience. You can't take others' experiences. So, like, how does that happen? How is that? Goodness, I have a spider crawling on my recording device. He's a little guy. He's like, oh. Anyway, spiders. Um, like, how is that possible? And I understand that's, like, some people may think that's just a crazy idea. <laughs> like, even if there is a God, like, how can you interact with this God that you cannot even see, can't touch, can't hear, right? But I also talked about how our spirit self, our spirit center of being, is that part of us that helps us connect to God. It's our immaterial self that helps us connect to God's immaterial self. You know? So, I, I also said, and I was talking in one of my podcasts, like, you, you know, as far as discovery is concerned, you're not going to set out to discover something you don't believe is there. So I don't know how, I don't know how you can come to that. Like, how do you come to a place where you even believe God is there to be discovered? You know, there are atheists that have simply said that God's not there to be discovered. There are agnostics who said God is not, um, he's somewhere else. He's not even, he's not here near us. 
so there's no way we can interact with God. Like he's, he's, God exists, but who, who knows where God is? You know, he's not here. He's left. And that's deism. Deism says God basically created the world like a big clock and wound it up and left. And we've got to just kind of do the best we can. It's a mechanized world. And the machine can eat us up and spit us out. Or, you know, we can try to learn to work with the machine. I'd, <laughs> that philosophy does not appeal to me. Like, that's a survival of the fittest, you know. And, and, and everything just happens and you got to just deal, you know. There's no compassion in the world at large, you know. Like, I don't find compassion even on a, the human level in that philosophy. It's, uh, I would call that pure evolution, right? I'm not putting down evolution. I believe in evolution. You know, I'm, we all evolve spiritually, physically. You know, I believe that. I believe in aspects of, of evolution, but I don't. I don't adhere to evolution as a source of meaning, or, or, or doesn't that doesn't give me significance? Doesn't help me define uh, a framework by which I can have compassion for the world, that which I can set aside my ego self. That inf that inf reinforces my ego self. Like, well, I'm, it's about me. I gotta be looking out for number one. Um. But I understand, like, there's a lot of different ways to see the world, a lot of different views of uh, concerning who God is and if God is and how God is. But you've got to believe God is there to be experienced, or you won't even try, right? That's what I'm. That was the point I was trying to get at. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know how to do that for you. I, I'm not here to do that for you. You know, that's your own journey of coming to terms with this idea of God. But if God is there to be experienced, I mean, that's where I'm, I'm going to start right there. If God is there to be experienced, if God is all around us, if God is this energy of love and life that sustains, that knits the world together and sustains the world and keeps the world moving along. If God is there, how do we connect with God? So contemplation offers a set of practices, and lots of religions do. They have practices that try or attempt to help remind and ground us in this reality and, and teach us and form us. You know, that's what I call spiritual formation. Other people call it different things, but meditation is the same thing. It's kind of learning to get quiet in order to begin to hear and be in tune with this energy. So, you know, you become what you practice, and every day we're practicing. We're practicing for the future. We're practicing for what we will become. And contemplation seeks to focus that in an intentional way towards getting more in tune with God. So I just wanted to kind of share some of my practices, some practices that can be helpful. Probably obvious, you know, like, but I want to encourage you, like, do something about it. 
you know, I think we all have a tension with this idea of God, you know, everybody. We all have doubts, we all struggle, we all question, you know. We all read things that just don't make sense or don't fall in line with how we think God should be or work. We all have questions. There, We all have the tension to work out. So that's what I'm saying is like, work it out, you know. Deal, uh, you know, explore, search, question, uh, discover, set out on the journey. It is worth it. Um, there are guideposts pointing the way. I am one of those guideposts, but there are so many others saying, hey, this is what it's like to know God, and this is how you can come to know God. So that brings me to one of the first practices. This is an obvious one. It's reading. Reading or taking in the data. Like this has to do with the mind center of being. Like just get yourself in the data. Start to read about what it's like to know God and how others have come to that. Like this just paints a picture so we can know for ourselves and begin to search. I, I like to compare often the Bible to a picture book. It's a picture book of that that shows what it was like for others to know God so I can see what it's like for myself, you know. And I realize the Bible is different things for different people. And some people, it's an it's a instruction book for life, right? It's a rule book. It just tells me what I should and shouldn't do. But for me, it's not, that's not what it is. For me, it's people that are saying, you know, this is what God is like so you can see a picture of God so you can know how to look for God for yourself. And this is how, you know, this is how others have come to know God. This is the things they did, they practiced. These are the, how they lived it out. So I can live it out. Like it's a, it's a guide. It's a picture book. It's not the only picture book either. There are others, you know. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of different ways for you to come in contact with this information. Videos podcasts, books, you know. I realize a lot of people probably have Bible PTSD, religious PTSD, Christian PTSD, like they just had negative experiences or, or there's just things that seem too obscure, too even bad to accept. And that's okay. Like, So that's not where you have to start with this whole thing. I would... I would say start with what's closest to you or what's most comfortable to you and also what seems to be drawing you, you know. Like maybe you've always wanted to learn more about Buddhism. You just have this desire, you know. Maybe the closest thing to you is a church. Maybe it's a Catholic church. It's a place to start. Like find a place to start. That's how you start, right? You're not going to, you know, you could spend your whole life deliberating where to start. That's, then you're stuck, right? Don't get stuck. And don't get concerned about the wrong and right place to start. Just start. A bad start is better than no start at all. <laughs> and look, we all start poorly. Like, you, when you don't know how to do something and you start trying, you're not going to do it very well at first. That's okay. Like, you have to do something poorly before you learn to do it well. I believe that. That's one of my life philosophies. 
because that's grace. That's grace. It's okay to do it wrong for a while. To it's okay to not do it very well at all. But just start. Start trying. You know. Find something. Find a place to start. And I know. I know. I like religion is wrought with people saying, "You got to do it the right way." So I'm blowing a spider off my. I'm. It's like the fifth spider I've seen crawling on me this morning. Little guys, I like spiders, you know. It's good to learn how to understand there's a place for everything in the world. That's one of the things I've read some about Jainism. It's another religion. Another. It came from, I believe, Buddhism, perhaps Hinduism, but Hinduism came from Buddhism, I believe. Anyway, and then Jainism came from Hinduism. <laughs> But Jainism just teaches it's it's a it's a it's a belief that God is in all things, and so that we don't want to hurt anything. And like I identify with some aspects of Jainism, I identify with that teaching. But I've explored it. You know, it was something that gave me some good truth. I'm not a Jainist, but I found some value in what they taught. Right, and so like I I would say you cannot fail. Start searching. Start exploring. You'll find something good in almost everything. I've learned some good things from atheists. I'm a Christian. <laughs> Look, you know, open your ears, open your heart, begin to learn, open yourself up. I've probably talked about this before, but the Buddhists ha- uh, have this concept they call the beginner's mind, and they, it takes years. They just—it's kind of where they—it's where they start. There you go. It's where Buddhists start. The beginner's mind, and. They just attempt first to cultivate this space of openness towards all things, open-heartedness, where they're just... I know it sounds scary to approach the world open-heartedly without all your beliefs and parameters to protect you from, from evil, false, and wrong thinking, right? But the beginner's mind is just this idea of like... Put aside all your preconceived notions, all your mental boxes and morals and beliefs and ideas about what is right and what is wrong, and just begin to experience things. Just let experience happen. That's one of the other practices, uh, is experience. Um, But, um, you know, explore. Like, it's okay, just... Open, open your heart and listen. It doesn't mean you can't listen critically, right? But it does mean stop, cri- stop criticizing everything or framing everything through what you already know. And that's what the beginner's mind is about. Like, if you frame everything through what you already know, you're just going to reject a lot of stuff and not really even hear it. So we start by opening ourselves up to the experience. And you may not believe in God. That's going to be hard for you to open yourself up to the idea, to the experience. It's not easy, I understand. You may believe in God a certain way, and probably most of us do. It's going to be hard for you to open yourself up to the ideas of God that are different. But how are we going to grow if we don't open ourselves up to learn? And what you're ultimately doing is opening yourself up to the idea that God is actually involved in this process and will guide you. I can't tell you how many times 
God has brought me to the right book or the right person or the right church or the right place at the right time because it's what I needed to learn at the time. And it, it was the next step in the journey and it opened up a whole new field for me. And um, here's a really good example. Like I had a brush with contemplation about 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, right? I was doing my master's level um, schooling. There was this girl in my class. She wasn't even a Christian, but she told me about this person named Thomas Merton. She just loved Thomas Merton. She's like, you got to read Thomas Merton. So, you know, within the, sometime within the next year, I was in a bookstore, and I love to go to bookstores and just, you know, peruse the shelves and all this stuff. I love books. But um, So I was in a bookstore, and I picked up a Thomas Merton book, and I kind of thumbed through it, and I remember there was this one line about loving everyone and I was really I just really was impressed with kind of what I gleaned in that brief experience but I didn't get the book it wasn't time for me to read Thomas Merton more than 10 years later it was probably like 15 years later I finally read Thomas Merton I don't even know why I read Thomas Merton at that time but that book came to me at the right time I didn't need to read about contemplation 15 years prior. Why? I, I don't know. But I know that God, this divine energy, is in charge, is guiding me, is in charge of the process. So I, could, I trust that. Things come to me when they're supposed to. But I also have to kind of surrender to that. Um, be in tune with that. And, um, but... I have to accept that it's kind of a stumbling forward, you know. It's not an it's not an exact science to coming and coming to know God, you know. But you got to get yourself into the data. You've got to start being intentional about just about exposing yourself to these ideas. Like whatever you could start with Rumi. You could start. I talked about Kalal Gibran. He was, um, I believe, he was a Muslim mystic. Uh, the Sufis are Muslim mystics. There's mystics in every religion. They're the, they're the ones that say it's about experiencing God for yourself. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that, it's beautiful too. But look, I'm just saying, there's wisdom all around you, everywhere. I mean, you have access to the internet more than likely. You have access to a library. You know, you have access. Like, take advantage of it. Do something about this. It's important. I hope it's important to you. Read, listen, watch videos. So, I kind of like, I think I like brushed up against like a lot of different practices in that, um, in that discussion. It was supposed to just be about like getting into the data. But the next practice is another obvious practice that you've more than likely heard of, and it's prayer. And again, I realized you can have a lot of negative overly religious connotations of prayer so like set those aside for a minute because it's this is not a religious thing this is the act of trying to communicate and open yourself up to this energy there are a lot of different ways you can do that but you know i would it is really just simply talking to god Whatever you think about God, even if you're angry at God, like, dude, 
yell at God. It's okay. It's okay. Like God is not going to like send a, God is not Zeus. He's not going to like send a lightning bolt down and strike you because you're mad. Right? I get pissed off at God. I question God. I wrestle with God. In the Bible, Jacob wrestled with God. Physically. Like, that's probably not very smart, but he he did it. (laughs) Right? Do it. Don't be afraid to do it. God is, like, really, if God is that, if God's truly God, he's big enough to handle your doubts, your frustration. Like, he even, he already knows it. That's the other thing. The point of prayer isn't to tell God something he doesn't know or she doesn't know. It's about connection. And it really gets things off of your chest. When I was really young, and I can't I can't really put an age, but I was, you know, in my preteens or tweens. Um how I you know, I had a, I didn't have a great home life. My my dad was abusive and angry and I was just trying to get out of the house a lot, but I would just go and walk and talk with God. Like I felt so alone, I felt so depressed, I felt so despondent, but I just, I just had this deep sense that God was listening, that God cared about me, that I could unload, that I could talk to God. I would just walk. That's what I'm doing right now as I'm talking to you. I'm walking. and I could just walk and talk and... and I really had this deep felt sense that I was heard and that I was cared for by this loving presence. And I I can tell you, you know, yeah, I was raised in the church, but I I didn't get that from church. I didn't wasn't even trained or taught about that in church, but somehow instinctively, I would say because I was not already programmed by religion, I just had this sense that I could talk to God, that God was a loving presence. And it did lift my burdens. It did it energized me in a positive way. It brought healing for me, brought release, brought recovery. And I was young, I mean I was young. I was desperate. I was burdened. I just went and talked with God. Like like God was my best friend. And I you know what? I became good friends with God <laughs> through that through that process. You know what? When you meet anybody, you don't know if you like them or not. I mean, I don't. I'm not sure even what draws people together. You, something you think you've got something in common, or there's some value you might see in getting to know a person. But, but then you have to learn about that person. How do you do that? You you talk. How does God talk back to you? I mean, that's. That is not a very explainable thing. But it is an experienceable thing. And you just have to go out and and start. Like, start talking to God. That's what prayer is about. There's no right words. There's no right way. The only wrong way is not to do it. (laughs) Just do it. You know, again, you got to do something poorly before you do it well. It's okay. God's not like, hey, uh, you didn't say thou. You didn't say our father. (laughs) No offense to Catholics, right? (laughs) Like, you don't have to do it right. There's no right words. You know what, what God actually says is the best way is just be genuine, be real, and be raw. You know, don't come to God like you you might come to other people trying to put on a, a front. Well, God, I'm doing really good, and, um... I just had a question. Uh, do you mind? 
All right, you know, could you, uh, you know, don't put on, don't put up a front. Just be honest. Be like, hey, you know what? My life is effed up right now, and I'm really kind of pissed off, and I don't even know if you're there. I'm kind of, to be honest, I kind of think you might not be there, but there's this song, um, uh, just pray to a God that I don't believe in. It's, uh, I don't know the name of the song, but I like that line. It's like, hey, that's a great place to start. <laughs> pray to a God you don't believe in. Like, it's okay. Like, if, you, if that's where you're at, that's where you're at. It's okay. Like, you don't have to work out some deep theology and figure a lot of stuff out. Just do it. Start talking to God. Do it for about 20 years, and then you'll begin to experience God. I shouldn't say it like that. It's not going to take 20 years, but I mean, it takes a long time. It takes a long practice to begin to get into the flow of God and begin to experience God. And I, you know, there's no time frame. The more you do it, the sooner you do it. The sooner it will start to happen. You know. Prayer. It's just another practice. It's another way for us to get into this flow. The third thing I kind of already talked about was just experience. Like Something I really value in Franciscan orthodoxy um, is just this idea that the first Bible is creation, is nature. Like, it was the first thing that God revealed himself through. <laughs> Another spider crawling on my recording device. I just grab their webs and, like, try and encourage them to go somewhere else. You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't kill things unless I absolutely have to. Like, I'm in their world, right? I'm not in my world. But um, Franciscan Orthodoxy really it's very beautiful and St. Francis did this you know he called things brother tree sister flower you know he gave a pers personality he gave dignity to all things because he believed that God was in all things that's panentheism not pantheism panentheism doesn't say God like the tree is God but he says God is in the tree the energy of God is in all things and so all things have a dignity a majesty a beauty. All things have the right to be here because God is in them. And I don't have a right to, to tell anything it should have a right to be here or not. I don't get to decide that. But there's, there's a beauty in just getting yourself in contact with the natural world experience, you know, beautiful music, beautiful art. These things are all reflecting the divine energy of God. Mm. I, I'm sure you, there's places that bring peace to you. You know, you just there's this, this felt sense of goodness. Maybe there's people. You know, I, I can tell you that that's true. I, I read things or I just experience people, and, um, and you just like, hey, you just have a sense that there's something different about that person. They I just felt a peace around that person. You know, God is like oozing out through, through, the world in every nook and cranny. I like Elizabeth Barrett Browning's poem, um, which I don't remember the name, but she says, Earth is crammed with heaven. Every nook and cranny. Like God is just saturating the world. Take off the blinders, you know. Your filters. I talked about filters. That's what the, the uh, last podcast was about. Last 
podcast on self-autonomy. Um, like, embrace this beginner's mind. Open yourself up. It's beautiful, you know. Get out into nature. Go to a concert. Go to an art museum. Get on the internet. There's beauty to be experienced. That beauty is God. God is moving in the world. There's goodness in the world. You've got to seek it out. You know, I'm a friend of mine does some podcasting and or videos, and he just was saying, you know, if you're upset, you know, what are you seeking out? Like, what are you gravitating towards? Like, are you filling yourself with negativity or positivity? That's kind of what I'm getting at. It was a, just a beautiful point. Like, what are you seeking out? Are you seeking out angry people, negative people? That's that's going to feed you with negativity and anger. Like, find things that feed you with beauty. That that draw you towards the positive. Be intentional about it. You want to be a negative person? <laughs> I mean, we're all well, we're all dysfunctional, but you know, take charge of what is coming into you. I like um can't remember what where this is at in the Christian scripture or if it's in the Jewish scriptures, but it says guard your heart above all else for it is the wellspring of life. And the wellspring is a really ancient idea, but there was this, you know, just the idea of when you dig a well, a wellspring is just like this, this source of abundant water. And, and of course, water is, access to water is the essential, most essential thing in life, you know. You can go without food for like a long time. You can't go without water very long. Like the wellspring of life, what, what brings life to you? Like guard your heart. Like set up some boundaries some guards against the negativity like kind of take charge take charge of what's coming into you what comes into you comes out it's an ebb and flow you're filling yourself up with negativity you're going to be a negative person you know it feeds something in you and it feels good in a way but it's not doing anything really good so um it's just another practice like get find time maybe it's taking a bath just find time to get yourself in contact with positive influence positive experience something that brings a calming to you and and I would say you know I haven't mentioned this much but like that's kind of has to do with the body center of being and the body center of knowing like getting yourself in contact with with things that connect you to God beauty experiencing beauty the last practice I wanted to talk about is meditation, which I call contemplation, you know, mindfulness, it's all those things. But So all these three I've talked about are activities, are, are doing, uh, you know, but meditation is about the ceasing of activity. It's about stillness. It's about getting quiet. It's about quieting the mind and the heart and the body. And I don't think it's, like, I, I really appreciate how much meditation has taken center stage in our culture. And it's, I don't think that a lot of people need to be told what contemplation or meditation is. We kind of have an idea. A lot of times we probably just picture, like, a Buddhist sitting cross-legged with his eyes closed, right? It's like maybe humming or going, hum. 
<laughs> but meditation is just the attempt to get to a quiet place internally and externally. Now, I do a lot of meditation walking through the woods, so you don't have to be physically still. But some people, that, you know, that's what works for them. What, there's a lot of different ways, and, and you've got to do what works for you. <laughs> bird just squawked at me. <laughs> I think I startled him. Hey, for once, I'm startling somebody else on the trails. I get startled all the time by joggers. Anyway, um, so I, let me just tell you how I meditate. I, it's called centering prayer or breathing prayer. So this is just where um, I do, and I do this all the time, but I started doing it by I found a place I would sit. I would find a phrase. Sometimes that phrase had to do with what I was struggling with. If I, I felt anxious, I would use the phrase peace or be still. So I would breathe in, peace, breathe out, be still. And I would just do that, and I would begin to calm. And the goal is to, like, you do it, like, I'm saying it mentally, not out loud. So I can breathe with the words, breathe the words. And I'm focusing on my breathing, and I'm just kind of... I'm trying not to have any mental thoughts, emotional movement. I'm getting quiet. I'm getting myself quiet, still. I really was drawn to this practice after my breakdown. I had a lot of mental confusion, emotional chaos. I just my emotions and, and thoughts were just out of control, out of my control. And so meditation was the counterbalance to that. Um and now I'm a lot more sensitive. Like I, I can tell when my mind is beginning to. I'm thinking how to phrase this. I can tell when my mind is in need of med- some meditation, or my heart. When my mind begins to, kind of, get away from me. You know, when I'm finding that my, I'm trying, kind of chasing my thoughts. My thoughts are just, kind of. Um, moving out of control right i'm just like i like i'm finding my mind it's hard to explain but i've become a lot more in tune with the state of my mind the state of my heart even the state of my body and like my mind is literally starts to tell me like through this kind of disturbing action where it's just kind of like starting to race or starting to just kind of move on its own and gravitate towards things, kind of, it becomes more obsessive too. Like when my mind begins to do that, I'm like, oh, you know what? I've been too much in my mind. The mind has been on too long. It's like leaving a computer on too long, I guess. Like I need to shut it off for a little bit, right? Let it cool down, you know? Um, it's got some viruses on there I need to get rid of. That's what meditation is. It's like you need to turn this off for a little bit. It's, it's starting to get too dominant. It's starting to get too obsessive. It's starting to get out of control. You know, I mean, if you live in the mind all the time, you may not even realize like that's just the state you live in. But meditation, like that's you have to start to attempt to turn it off, to even get to the place where you know what it feels like, so you know what the difference can be. That stillness and it brings a peace. And it says that there's more to the world than how I think about the world. Like I don't have to think my way through everything. And man, I've I've really. I'm just, and it deepens always. I've just really come to new levels of this deeper place of quiet and stillness through meditation where I'm just learning more about it. Where I, I've, I'm learning that I can do a lot of things without even thinking about it. Like thoughts don't even apply. There's just some physical things like I work construction and 
Um, I always mental my way through. It's just such a dominant aspect of me and of our culture. Like you, we mental our way through everything, emotions, physical things. But I've started to realize I can just, I can, I can turn the mind off. And I can still do stuff. Like I can do things without my mind. Meditation helps us get to that place where, where we can even begin to realize the mind is often unnecessary and sometimes even harmful in certain situations and activities. Sometimes you, if you've never experienced anxiety or depression, and, and maybe you don't know this, or you've not really seen the dire need to shut the mind off or the emotions off sometimes. You know, and that's and that's what I talked about, our three centers of being and knowing. I talked about the need to to tangle them and to really see them more clearly and, and kind of separate all these things and begin to look at them. And and I, the soul is a buffer, uh, the space where we have space around these things where we can learn to turn them off. We can learn like what they're meant for and how to use them and when we're not supposed to use them. Like the ability to shut all these things off, to be still in all our parts. That's what meditation does. You know, we know this physically, that we need to rest. We need to get the body still so it can rejuvenate. That's true for the mind as well, and the, mo- and the mo- emotions, the heart as well. Sometimes you need to rest. I, um, I had this wrestle with God for a, for a few years with my mind in particular. Like, I would have these experiences where my mind would just... Because I have a very overactive mind. I'm an ADD, ADHD kid. If you've read any of the science on that, one of the theories is not really concrete, like ideas about why, or what this, what, like how this works, or why people have this. But like one of the theories is that the ADD, ADHD mind is overactive. It like it's processing ten times faster, and so my I I again experience can be somewhat relative because I don't know what it's like to be in someone else's mind, but I experience that my mind processes very quickly. It's fast. And so, um, I find that my mind can get very unhealthy very quick. And I just, I, I do so much through the mind, but I've learned so much more now. So, <laughs> I forgot my point for a second. What I was trying to say is I begin to experience this now where my mind goes to what I call elevator music. Like, it's hard for me to, it can be hard for me to shut my mind off. Sometimes my mind just goes to elevator music. And, like, I've talked with God about that for a while, for years. And, like, is that good or bad? You know, my mind just kind of goes to, like, playing a song over and over or something. And and I was like, oh, shouldn't my mind be involved in, like, some holy or some good or positive kind of thinking thing right now? It's just, like, kind of just gone into this, um, it's like the screensaver, you know, <laughs> mode. Um, and I... I you know, I was just like, man, I don't know if that's good or bad. I was asking God that question. And finally, God was like, look, the mind, it's just the mind going to a place where it's just kind of like a screensaver. That's okay. Like, you don't have to have the mind active all the time. You don't have to have the mind doing something all the time. So sometimes my mind goes to elevator music. <laughs> but it was good for me, you know, to have that divine enlightenment about it and just say, yeah, it's okay. It's all right. That's just... Sometimes the mind just needs to... Like, sometimes it's hard for the mind to just be completely quiet. So elevator music is a good alternative. <laughs> that's okay. So that's what my... You know, because I have such an overactive mind. Um, my processor is just... It's hard, to, it's hard to turn it off sometimes. The so screensaver works, you know. <laughs> screensaver mode. That's what meditation does. 
I've learned so much about how to quiet my mind. That's been my biggest struggle. And I think it's probably most of our biggest struggles because we, we're so dominant in the mind. Intellectualism dominates our culture so much. I mean, we don't even, probably, you, you might not even realize that you need to shut your mind off. That may be a new idea to you, but that's what meditation does. That's what it seeks to do. It, and it's hard. Like, it, it will be hard. Like, the first time you do it, your mind probably won't shut off. You're going to be like, it's going to be five minutes of getting quiet. No, mind's back on again. <laughs> mind's chasing the rabbit trail again. And you're just going to have to, it's, it's called practice. It takes time. But it can begin to quiet us. And the purpose of getting quiet is not just to be quiet, but to listen, to begin to hear to have things come to us instead of running after things, to begin to get in tune with God and the God energy of the universe. Ah, this is going long, so uh, I, you know I appreciate you always paying attention and, and, and engaging with me. And I hope that some of these practices are helpful, you know, in getting us more out of this autonomous self and this way of trying to wrestle with reality and control reality to the space of surrender. All these practices are, help us be still, help us relax, help us surrender the fight against reality and just come into a space where we can kind of begin to let reality be what it is and let things be what they are and just find a peace and a rest. So that's my hope for you and I love you guys. I really appreciate you tuning in and listening and engaging. So that's... That's the wrap-up of this, uh, the Autonomous Self and Surrender. This has been the Modern Contemplative Podcast with J. Randall Ori. You can find more content, of course, more blogs, podcasts on my website, which is www.contemplation.com. I'm sorry, I just, I just did it wrong. It's www.moderncontemplation.com. <laughs> um, be well. Find peace. Try these things out. Maybe they'll change your life. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Bye.